Lesson three, how to know what you want most. I had occasion recently to take a little daughter of a friend out to lunch. We went to a cafeteria, a new experience for her, but she took very little food and didn't enjoy that. As a party, it was a dismal failure. And for the same reason that many human lives are failures, she couldn't decide what she wanted. All kinds of good things were there before her, ready for her, and to be had for the taking, but she could not bring herself to choose. Instead of looking at each display as we passed it, selecting something and passing on to the next, she ran her eye over all the counters at once and finally grew so excited and muddled, she picked up two or three things she didn't like at all and let it go at that. How like us grown-up, even gray-haired children, The first big stumbling block on the roadway of life that meets and all too often stops us is this one. All we know is that we want from life a great many things. Yes, lots and lots of things. But settling on just exactly what they are is something few people ever get around to doing. We look at the world in its fullness in a sort of by and large survey sweeping the horizon with a cursory, casual glance and say to ourselves, yes, yes, now let's see. And a decade or two taps us on the shoulder before we awaken. Instead of waiting for the rattle of old father time's scythe to rouse you, let me help you out of that daze right now. Open your eyes and decide what it is you do want. You can get every one of them if you will come out of it long enough to definitely, positively choose, and then go after them. But you will only get the leavings of life if you fail to do this. The value of knowing exactly what you want cannot be overestimated. We are powerful organisms, all of whose energy is automatically mobilized, ready to go after a thing the instant we absolutely know we want it. It always reminds me of the way the sun's rays act with and without a burning glass. You may sit in the brightest sun, reading your newspaper without its taking fire. The rays are spread over a large area, and nothing happens. But move to a spot much less sunny, take a burning glass from your pocket, hold it in the sun over the paper, and it burns a hole through it. When you do not know just what you want, your energies are out of focus. They spread over everything and nothing happens. All the power is there, but you are not directing it. Definite desire focuses and harnesses a thousand energies you are not even aware of and burns a hole to what you want. When you do not know exactly what you want, you are like a man who wants to go somewhere but doesn't know where it is. You are like the people who say, yes, I'd love to travel, but who never do so because they can't make up their minds where to go. Most people are like those in the old song who sang, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm on my way. All the world lies open to you. You may go where you choose, but you must choose or be jostled by the crowd, not merely figuratively, but literally. The world always steps aside for the person who knows where he is going, but it takes a good deal of delight in pushing, bumping into, and running over the one who doesn't. To arrive at any destination worth your while, you must decide on that destination. 
Otherwise, the pulling and hauling, the mulling and muddling of those in your immediate and remote environments will shunt and shove you down first this bypath and then that according to their own interests. But I am afraid to decide for sure, said one woman to me, for fear I couldn't get there. I've never tried such a thing before and I don't know what might happen. Things I can't foresee might have to be faced and maybe some of them would be too much for me. This conversation took place in Los Angeles. The answer I made her will perhaps clear something up for you too. You have just been telling me that in a few days you are going to motor to San Diego, haven't you? I said. You have never made the trip before, yet you are not dismayed. You know there may be detours and, at this time of year, a washout or two, but you are not letting that deter you. You know that when you reach them, you will find some way of getting by them and going on. You must do the same in your life. Go as far as you can see, and when you get there, you will see farther. To reach the big places, every famous person has had to decide to go to them, letting the detours and delays take care of themselves when their time came. Of course, some of these will have to be met. Of course, you must allow for them. But take along your mental skid chains, have plenty of gas and spare tires, and you'll get there. Other people are going to the very same places in life that you desire to reach and doing it every day. Are they supermen or superwomen? Are they more able than you? On the contrary, many of them, as you say to yourself, are inferior to you. But they are getting the good things you want, having a wonderful time and reveling in the headway they are making while you watch from the roadside. The chances are you have as good a car as the average and a far better one than many who skim past you on life's highway. Only they start while you stand around letting your machine and yourself rust. Make up your mind. What if you should make a mistake and find a few miles along that you didn't like the scenery? You could turn around, couldn't you? Come back and strike out for something that suited you better. At least you wouldn't have wasted your time altogether, as you are doing now. For you would have learned from the effort a good deal that would be useful to you in the future. We learn by doing. Every successful person in the world made a lot of false starts. Don't be so sensitive that you can't admit an error once in a while, too. People aren't watching for your mistakes half as much as you imagine, anyhow. And those who do will forget them as soon as you give them something better to think of. I know of several brilliant people who have allowed life to pass them by, leaving only failure in its wake because they were afraid to attempt. The man who never made a mistake never made anything. If your sensitiveness to criticism has been holding you back, if you have been afraid to begin anything for fear it might fall through and give some people the laugh on you, just remember, he laughs best who laughs last. There are two things far harder to bear than an occasional laugh. The smile of superiority and the look of pity we finally call forth from the very people for whose good opinion we sacrificed our chances. Decide what you want, where you wish to go. Have a definite goal in view. Know what you want and why you want it. Use all your intelligence and imagination to select just the things you will want after you get them. 
You must aim at a target if you expect to hit it. You must get your gun lined up and point it straight at the very thing you are after. You will bag nothing out of the jungle of life if you fail to do this. At first glance, you will say, I know what I want, all right? It's the getting it that stumps me. But do you? I venture to make a guess that if you were asked to sit down right now and make a list of the 10 you want most, you would have a hard time of it. Within five minutes, you would come to a standstill trying to make up your mind which of several conflicting desires stands first with you. A simple illustration of this was given me several years ago by a student of mine, a middle-aged woman of Iowa who wanted to do something in the way of a school along the lines of these teachings. Her ideas were vague. She was interested in psychology but didn't know what branches she wanted to teach. She felt that she would, as she put it, get a great deal of self-expression out of having something like this to do. When she finally decided to start, she could not select what to teach. At last, she definitely made up her mind to use for a basis such principles are as outlined here. But even after that, she was delayed for several months more because she could not decide whether to begin in New York or Washington, D.C. She wanted so badly to live in both places. Each offered such allurements she could not decide to forego either, and as a result, had to forego both for many useless months. When she finally settled on Washington, all went smoothly and happily. She has never regretted her decision, and her success has long since reconciled her to what she missed in New York. Another student, a man of 38, had kept two fine women waiting and himself out of years of happiness because he could not decide which to marry. He was in the same predicament as the poet who sang, How happy could I be with either, were t'other dear charmer away. Each woman possessed certain advantages and each certain disadvantages, from his point of view, just as do all things between which we hesitate. If only there were but one of them, he used to say, and that one a composite lacking the faults and combining the good qualities of both. Often some such impossible idea keeps us from deciding on a course of action. But until we stop demanding perfection in people and things, all we get from life will be a mass of imperfections. Make up your mind that New York is not Washington, that the person or thing you are choosing is not perfect, that it lacks some things you could have gotten elsewhere, but that, as ritual says, you are taking it for better or for worse. Then make the most of it and, like the respectable married woman, refuse thereafter to flirt with the one you have renounced. If you do not, if you persist in keeping a sort of mental option on both, the thing which happened to this man will happen to you. You will lose both. Everything in the universe moves. The bird you would like to bring down may sit so long on the same branch you imagine it will be there forever, but I assure you it will fly away when you least expect it. This, then, is the thing you must do. Decide just what you do want. The big, main things in life are like trees, beautiful and satisfying for the most part, but with a few flaws, gnarled branches, and other imperfections in every one. You are not in heaven, yet. This is the earth, but a place you can mighty near make into a heaven if you will use one of the least used and rarest things in the world. Common sense. 
We do not see just how or why a desire begins to fulfill itself the instant it is definite and positive in our own mind. We only know it does. We know this definiteness calls forth our reserve armies, and they come marching from every fiber within the body, brain, mind, and spirit, ready for exact orders. This one bit of knowledge is enough to make life over for each of us, whether we understand why it is true or not. We do not know why two and two make four, but we use this fact successfully. We do not know why a horse hauls our burdens, but that does not prevent our hitching him up and putting him to use. We can train our desires and make them carry us wherever we wish to go. We need only to get sufficiently acquainted with them to put them in harness and guide them. Every person you meet is full of desire, the most powerful electricity in the world, but usually fails because he never learns how to put the current to work for him. It is going to waste. It is always there, ready to be turned into any direction the instant he decides what that direction shall be, the moment he stops throwing the switch back and forth. It will be with him as long as he lives. It is inexhaustible. In fact, so much so that the more we use, the more we generate. But it must be focused and applied to be of any service to us. History and biography reveal the fact that every person who achieved great things knew what he or she wanted and wanted it hard. When you know what you want and want it hard, you clear a path for yourself. The underbrush that looked hopelessly entangling yesterday disappears. Once you actually start, great spaces will constantly open before you and you will have much smoother traveling than you can now imagine. You will meet with difficulties, of course, and would deserve no success otherwise, but they are never as appalling when you come face to face with them as you supposed in advance, nor half so overwhelming as the onlookers imagine. The following specific suggestion will help you organize and crystallize your wants. Rule one, tonight, when you are alone, take a pencil and paper and begin to write down your strong desires. Meanwhile, let your mind play with this subject, but make no written notes. By that time, you will have some definite ideas and will get nearer the truth than if you jotted down the first thing that crossed your mind just now. Rule two, put down all your deepest desires, regardless of whether you ever expect them to materialize and no matter how unattainable, silly, or ridiculous they look on paper. If you have magnificent, marvelous ambitions, aspirations, aims, and ideals, so much the better. Do not permit this to overcome you. Above all, do not take the attitude, oh, well, I'll do it, but nothing will ever come of it. Rule three, tell no one whatever about your list. Rule four, do not be disturbed by the fact which will probably be apparent in a day or two, that some of the things on your list are quite new to you, things you have never before been conscious of wanting. When this stage is reached, you have begun to get down to some of the real secrets of your subconscious, to the things you have been wanting very much, but for some reason would not admit to yourself. Some of these will be selfish, some unselfish, some primitive, 
some very spiritual and beautiful. We will have a weeding out party when the time comes, but for just now, don't deny a single big desire that wants to write himself down. That would not annihilate him. It would only push him out of sight and behind you, from which place he would continue to push you without showing his hand. The best place for any desire is out in the open of your own mind, but not paraded before anyone else's. If it is ugly, a good look at it will do more to cure us than all the preaching in the world. If it is beautiful, the same light that pitilessly exposed ugliness will reveal additional beauties, and we will be strengthened to live up to our ideals. Rule 5. Keep this list in your mind throughout the course, for we shall add something to it, take away others, frequently refer to it, and constantly study it. These lessons are to show you how to get anything you want. Therefore, this list of your wants is the order sheet we will work from. Rule 6. Don't keep wondering whether or not any of these wants will ever be realized. If you follow the rules laid down in the lessons, nothing under heaven can prevent your getting them. Rule 7. Don't keep doubting yourself, nagging your teacher, or questioning the great law you are trying to operate. For reasons I shall explain further to you in a few minutes, I do not, after promising you these things, fling all burden back on you at the alibi. You must have implicit faith or nothing will come to you. How could a reasonable being be expected to have implicit faith in anything before it produced results? The laws I am to teach you will work whether you believe in them or not, just as the sun will rise and set whether you believe it or not, for the same creator made both. Do not indulge in self-distrust or self-depreciation. Rule 8. Do not interfere with your own progress by encouraging or listening to the apprehensions of skeptics. When you meet such a one, simply remember that if he had ever tried these laws himself, he would be defending instead of deriding them. And since he is not, as they say in court, not a competent witness, for he does not know what he is talking about. What a man is not up on, he is very likely to be down on, said Hubbard. Rule 9. Do not allow your mind to dwell upon, much less enlarge upon, the insurmountable obstacles you imagine lie between you and anything you now desire. Rule 10. Whenever something tells you, as something or other is bound to do, that your chances are very slim, don't let it frighten you. This is nothing but the cowardly, fearsome side of your own nature, the primitive, lazy animal side that doesn't want to be bothered, the same weak self that has ruined millions of good men and women by whispering each morning, oh, let's lie still. Why get up? What's the use? One more nap won't hurt anything. One more tardy mark at the office won't do any harm. The same weak traitor that taunts you years later by saying, you've wasted so many years now you could never catch up. The inert side of you is merely good for nothing. It doesn't want to bestir itself nor be bothered by the stirrings of your great self. But it is a false alarm and will lie down and behave when you show it you mean business. 
It has run and ruined your life for so long it forgets you are the rightful master and that whatever you say has got to go. You have spoiled it till this useless, worthless, whining, sniveling coward actually has the audacity to advise you. When these suggestions of weakness come from others, just remember the warning is merely a self-defensive pretense from their weaker side too. There is only one thing the weak side of a man hates worse than stepping aside for his own strong self, and that is stepping aside for the strong selves in others. The world of weakness is in a grand old conspiracy against the world of strength, but it is all bluff and goes down and out in the first round when your true self really gets into the ring. Rule 11. When the thought flashes in your mind, is it possible that I am a fool for thinking I can actually get anything I want? Hold yourself steady, knowing you are merely meeting an ancient enemy for whom you can defeat any time you really want to. For a little while, it will come back in various forms, masks, and disguises. One of these says, isn't it really too much to expect? Does it stand to reason that I could? Why, with my handicaps against such odds in the face of such conditions, how could I? But do not be deceived. It is the same old sneak in another false face trying to tempt you into inertia. Another one, one of his most effective, is this. Aren't we too old for that? Now, this would be fine if we were only young, but you see, at my age, there's his biggest shot, what can we do? This is splendid for young folks, but for old codgers like me, ah, uh, well, it's too late. Millions of wonderful men and women have fallen for that one. It ruins more lives than all the wars and shortens more than all the diseases combined. It has more casualties to its credit than any other one thing in the world, so you can't blame it for being a little unreasonably attached to its opinion. It defeats millions because they are afraid of it, yet any one person can defeat it any moment he wants to. Another is the one about your health. Are we really strong enough to try for this thing? Be careful now, dearie, or you'll overdo yourself. Go easy or you'll break down, and then where would we be? This has almost as many victims as the one just mentioned. It chloroforms a lot of good people, leading them around by the nose, making them think they can't get what they want without ruining their health, when the fact is that going after what they want would put more pep into them than all the coddling in the world, add from five to 50 years to their lives, besides getting them the things they wanted. But old Willie Weakness has another favorite disguise, which he falls back on when all these fail. He is very proud of this one, and with good cause, for thousands of wonderful people who have seen right through the others go under when he springs this one. How about your duty to friends and family? Suavely, sweetly suggests Willie. If you go after these bigger things, it might mean leaving home for a while. It might mean you couldn't spend so much time in the family circle. Why, just think of it, you might actually have to deprive them of some of the comforts and luxuries they now enjoy. They're depending on your steady salary, 
And though, of course, it isn't what you might get if you ventured forth, it's sure. And, well, better forget it. Willie doesn't tell you the rest of the story. How much more you could do for those you love if you'd stop listening to his snivelings and begin to take counsel of your great self. Your great self will tell you, though, if you'll listen, if you'll take your ear away from Willie long enough to catch what the God in you has to say. It will tell you the truth, how much more your family and friends will admire and love you when they see you are no longer a coward, how much more you could do for them if you aimed a little higher. Those who truly love you will be glad to make a few temporary sacrifices for the common and future good of all. And those who don't are certainly not worth the forfeiture of your future. A good general rule is this. Look out for any and every negative thought, mental picture, or idea that comes creeping into your mind trying to get you to doubt the possibility of getting this thing you want. Everyone is a sneak thief, a liar, a traitor, masquerading in first one excuse and then another. And everyone is a boasting, bluffing, bullying braggart made of smoke. You can walk straight through them any moment you want to. But you must really want to, which brings us to a very interesting discovery. Rule 12. Be honest enough to yourself not to try bluffing yourself. If you don't really want these good and great things which you've been thinking you wanted, stop lying to yourself right now. You will make little progress until you do. In fact, you will get deeper and deeper into the muck, maze, and maelstrom of mediocrity. Your subconscious is a great wholesaler mind. It won't take orders from your pretenses any more than a big wholesale house will do business with individuals. When an individual wants anything from a wholesale house, he must order it through the proper channels and in the proper way. So it is with you in ordering what you want from your subconscious. There are ways to do it and ways not to do it, all of which will be made clear in this course of lessons. One of the ways not to is by fibbing to yourself. You have been getting a lot of things you didn't want and missing a lot you did want because you went at it wrong. Meanwhile, your subconscious has been doing the best it could for you, sending you what you ordered, whether you ordered it by mistake or otherwise. Your subconscious is like your grocer in one way. He takes your orders and fills them. He doesn't know what you've been telling your friends about the fancy things you tried to get for dinner. He simply accepts the order you send him and delivers the goods. Your subconscious doesn't know or care what you pretend to have ordered. I only knows what you did order, and this you always get. Rule 13. Don't be a mere wisher. Be a wanter. If you expect to get things, you have got to want them. Hard. This is a course of lessons in how to get what you want, not what you weakly wish you had. Wishy folks are wishy-washy, but wanters are rulers of the earth. All great men and women have been great wanters. They knew what they wanted, why they wanted it, where to go after it, and they got it. 
They didn't spend their time, thought, energy, money, or efforts drifting around. They took the shortest routes regardless of how rough they were and arrived. Every great name in history is the name of someone who was, first of all, a great wanter. The kind of person who wants what he wants when he wants it. But every failure has been a wisher. Rule 14. Be definite in your wants and dismiss all that are not definite. Don't encourage in yourself the mental fogginess that comes dreamily yearning for something other. Many people live in a self-manufactured atmosphere of discontent, of general dissatisfaction with their limitations, conditions, circumstances, and possessions. They never quite decide what it is they don't like about all these things. They never decide exactly what it is they do want. They only feel that something is wrong, that the machinery is out of order, but make almost no attempt to find out where the trouble lies. Two friends of mine illustrate the difference between this type of mind and the one which concentrates, focuses, and wants. Each bought a car of the same make and model in the same month. One always investigated when something went wrong and was not content till he fixed it or had it fixed. He would not tolerate even a rattle, but looked for it till he found it and tightened the screw, bolt, or whatever it was. He listened to the purr of his engine every so often, and if a cylinder was missing, he had it attended to. Result, his car is in a splendid condition, runs like new, and for all practical purposes is as efficient and dependable as this year's model. He was offered a very good price for it recently, much more than the standard appraisement because of its perfect condition and appearance. The other man cultivated the opposite habit. So long as his car would run at all, he refused to do anything for it. It might wheeze, jerk, and sputter, but unless it came to a dead standstill, he worried along. Naturally, he and those who accompanied him had little pleasure when driving, whereas everyone exclaims over the smoothness and reliability of the other man's car. His machine is now broken down and can be sold only for junk. Rule 15. If you want to get things, you must take stock occasionally and find out what your present conditions are. Don't go thumping, bumping along through life, realizing something is wrong somewhere without doing something about it. Before you take another step in this course, stop long enough to think of what you want that you do not have and also what, specifically, you would like to be rid of. Look the matter in the eye, fearlessly, honestly. To attain the fullest measure of present enjoyment, to be able to travel speedily and pleasantly towards your desires, and finally, to market your abilities for the highest possible price, you must not neglect to rid yourself of the things that hold you back. Rule 16. If you think the thing you want above all else is not to be had in your present environment, investigate and make sure. You will usually find that it either can be secured where you are or that you can alter, adapt, or adjust your present environment to attract it. But if such is not possible, if, for instance, you have exhausted the possibilities of a musical, artistic, or educational training in the community where you are, you should face the fact and begin to prepare your mind 
for whatever change is essential to the fruition of your great desire. Rule 17. If you find that the people you live with, work with, or associate with discourage you, depreciate, nag, or ridicule you or your higher ambition, you must do one of two things. Leave them, which you should do if possible, or, if that not practicable at this time, spend little time with them as possible. Be kind and tolerant and keep your own counsel. Rule 18. Try to see as much as possible of people whose tastes, ideals, aspirations, and talents are akin to your own. No matter how timid or retiring you are by nature, it will pay you to rise above it and find your kind. You need not push yourself or be forward to accomplish this. It can be done easily if, instead of dwelling on what you can get from others, you think out how you can give most to them. Soon, you will have every opportunity for the kind of companionship and encouragement you require. Rule 19. With regard to things you want not merely to get but to do, try to grasp the truth in the following eternal law. Desire to do a thing is proof of your ability to do it. The attempt on the part of the talent is to get itself externalized in the world of reality. In other words, intense desire to do does not come accidentally. It is never, as you may have supposed, a freak feeling. It is not the first step, but the second. It is not a cause, but an effect. In this case, the cause is an inborn, God-given capacity. Talents of all kinds are choked, strangled, repressed, and smothered constantly by millions of people who do not know this and who imagine their longings to accomplish a certain thing are will-o'-the-wisps instead of the divine promptings they really are. You only desire as you are able to acquire. Rule 20. Take your desires and wants seriously. Be in earnest about them. After all, the big difference between the genius and the failure is not so much in their abilities as in their attitude toward their abilities. The genius encourages his wants. The failure develops the habit of inhibiting his. The genius uses his wants as cores, starting points around which he builds the rest of his life. He makes everything else adapt to his supreme desire. The failure allows circumstances, friends, relatives, and the fluctuations of chance to build his. The genius looks upon his wants as sacred things. He is in dead earnest about them. He gives himself to them, and they in turn give back to him fame, money, love, and success. The failure looks upon his desires as impossibilities, jokes, or vagaries. He doubts them in secret and often ridicules them in public. I always like to think of John C. Calhoun, who, when a young man, said, I shall study law, and the rest will have to take their chances. It sounds a little vain, doesn't it? But it was really the healthy kind of self-confidence that begets much of the success and achievement in this world. Rule 21. Do not take the attitude that anything is too good for you. The moment you do, you will begin to deteriorate until eventually what you get will not be half good enough for you. 
The way to deserve the best is to believe in it and work toward it. Don't worry, you won't get it or be able to keep it till you are good enough for it. Once, one of Napoleon's six soldiers remonstrated when Bonaparte ordered some unusual delicacy for him. Isn't this too good for me? Nothing is too good for a soldier of France, answered Napoleon. You are one of God's own soldiers, sent here to fight a good fight, to do your best, to grow into your best, to become the best. And nothing he put into this beautiful world is too good for you. Rule 22. Once you have decided on a thing, give it your vote, not occasionally, but all the time. Do not impose limitations of any kind on your expectations or on your visions of the future. If you want a million dollars, set your mark for a million and don't waste a moment entertaining any thought opposed to it. It is these opposition thoughts that keep you away from what you have been wanting. Be loyal to the forces within you, or they cannot produce their maximum for you. They are all powerful, but for that very reason, super sensitive, highly organized, and susceptible to every suggestion you give them. They must have your complete trust to do their swiftest, supremest work. True, they will do the best they can against this handicap, but they are like you and me. They can produce 10 times as much and do it 10 times as quickly when the one they are working for trusts and relies on them. Rule 23. Once you have decided on a thing that you really want, stop thinking or saying to yourself anything that reminds you of your present lack of it. Above all, do not dwell on the fact that this present lack and your future hopes are widely separated or that there is any contrast between them. All great achievements are made in the mind first by mentally bridging the gap between the present and the future. If you keep thinking of the gap instead of the bridge, you will never bridge the gap. Would Brooklyn Bridge ever have been built if the engineers had devoted themselves to picturing the gap of visualizing the untouched, unoccupied air between Manhattan and Brooklyn, reminding themselves that the bridge was not there? They did the exact opposite. Whenever they thought of that space, they visualized a bridge across it till it seemed as real to them as the actual structure was when finished. You must do the same, or you will never build the bridges that carry you from the unpleasant present to a glorious future. Rule 24. When you have decided on a thing and know exactly what you want, let it alone for a few days. Do not try to think or plan or work out the details, ways, or means of going after it. Give your conscious mind a little vacation. Take about three days off the subject. Let your mind lie fallow. Get a very clear picture in your mind of what you want and file it away, figuratively speaking, in your great subconscious gallery. It will materialize just as blueprints do if properly treated. Rule 25. On the other hand, beware of taking too long vacations from the thoughts of what you want. If, after this three-day vacation, you find that, in spite of all you can do, your mind refuses to return to plans for a thing, it is probable that you do not want it at all. If, on the other hand, 
you find it impossible to put the plans out of your mind even temporarily, the probabilities are that you have more talent in this particular direction than you have realized. Perhaps genius. Rule 26. Do not be afraid of overworking your body or brain during the first few days planning. Edison has slept an average of four hours out of each 24 during most of his life and has reached 75 in splendid mental and physical health. There is more recuperation in work we like than in most of the leisure we take and far more than is found in the average vacation. We can produce, enjoy, and thrive on a prodigious amount of work if it is what we like. We do not even require the change of work that is the next best thing. And as for dropping it in the midst of an important phase, as our friends often recommend, this is agony to the genius. A genius is one who cannot be kept away from his work. The same tendency will reveal itself in greater or less measure wherever talent is being tapped. If you feel impelled to get away from the work connected with a thing, you do not really want that thing. You may want what it would bring you, but you do not want the thing itself. Rule 26. Another interesting test of your ability, talent, or genius along any given line can be made by noting how soon, how frequently, and with what degree of heaviness you get sleepy when thinking out the details of a thing you want or when planning how you are going to get it. If you find yourself getting drowsy for no apparent reason every time you settle yourself to think out ways and means in connection with this thing, you do not want it. You only wish you wanted it. This is especially true if you fall asleep or become even moderately sleepy in the forenoon after a good night's rest. You must use your common sense in making this test. If you work hard during the day, eat a large meal, and lie back in the Morris chair with your feet before the fire to work out your plans for a certain thing, it does not necessarily signify a lack of talent for that thing. A genius, however, would withstand even this severe test, or rather, he would avoid it. When a man has found the thing for which he has actual genius, he doesn't jeopardize it by big meals nor demand comfortable surroundings in which work. He often completely forgets to eat or rest or sleep. Rule 27. Note how many extraneous, superficial, pleasant things you forget, overlook, fail to avail yourself of when planning toward this big thing. Things you truly, deeply, desperately want make you forget the clock, creature comforts, vacations, and the non-essentials of life. Rule 28. If you want still another test of whether this thing really means a great deal to you, take note of how many excuses you find for laying it aside. Only you will call them reasons. If you are constantly finding many of these reasons, each of which seems to you good and sufficient for doing no more today, waiting till you can talk it over with somebody or otherwise delay it, don't fool yourself. You are only wishing for this thing. You do not deeply, subconsciously want it, and your own subconscious mind knows it. In cases like this, the subconscious, knowing you do not really want to do it, provides these escapes for you. As fast as one serves this purpose, it gives you another. In nothing more than this does the subconscious reveal to us its unlimited power. 
The subconscious works in whatever direction you really want it to work. If you truly want to do a thing, it will furnish you ample reason and full power, exactly as Edison's has done for him, for working year after year on four hours sleep. If you do not want to do it, your subconscious will give you numberless apparent legitimate reasons for avoiding it. One of its favorite methods is to help you lose or break your tools. Or it may convince you that you can't go on till you get others or something new in the way of materials, etc., from town, from the stockroom, or, if you dislike it extremely, from another city or state. Too bad, you say, when you get back. The retailer didn't have it. He had to send to the wholesale house for it. It is this expertness at perfectly sincere alibis which finally convinces any employer that you are not interested in your work. He knows that what we want to do, we find a way to do, regardless of everything. He also knows that no matter how honest and truthful you are when you tell him so-and-so or such-and-such prevented your getting what he sent you for, it is really your fault if it persists in happening. If some unforeseen catastrophe is always intervening to prevent the completion of your work, he knows that the intervention is coming partly from within yourself. If he is a student of the human sciences, he will realize, as we do, that you are often unconscious of this fact and, therefore, innocent, that your unconscious mind is doing it and that you are not aware of the motivation behind these occurrences. But this does not alter the facts nor make you a good investment for him. Willingness, says every employer, is worth more than anything else to us, provided the individual has ordinary intelligence. Because he knows that wherever willingness is, there will your subconscious mind be also. And with its tremendous capacities back of your work, you will find ways to do it. Your subconscious will organize, arrange, and ultimately contact you for whatever is necessary to the accomplishment of any deep desire. But where one is not willing, where his deep desires are not involved, the most brilliant mind and the best muscle in the world are worth little. It is also for this reason that we should all find the vocation, the life work we truly love. If we drive ourselves into that for which we have no liking, all the training, experience, and forced effort in the work will never make us produce anything worthwhile. If we goad ourselves day after day to work at something we hate, we are pushing ourselves uphill with the brakes on. Eventually, the thwarted great one within us takes its revenge. Ill health, failure, nagging unhappiness, and premature death are some of the penalties we pay. Our deep, subconscious desires are not to be lightly ignored. Rule 29. The above rule can be applied to persons as well as to work, to places, and to everything we think we want. If you are engaged to marry someone and are often irritated when it comes time to dress for him or her, better wait a while. This irritation, especially if it has existed for some time, and more especially if it grows worse instead of less, is a danger signal. If the one to whom you are engaged has several times postponed the wedding day for what she felt were good reasons, she does not deeply love you. If you were relieved each time this happened, the growing indifference is mutual. 
If something always comes up to make it impossible for you to keep your appointments with a certain person, you subconsciously want to avoid that person. If things interfere only enough to make you late, you are not enthusiastic. You will recall how easy it is to be early when we are to meet those we love, how we make preparations far in advance, planning what we will wear, getting everything ready, even laying it out so there will be no delay. All this effort at preparation comes actually without effort, doesn't it? But when you don't want to go, everything goes wrong, as you explain afterward. Your hair won't go up as it should. Your gown needs a hook. The clean laundry hasn't been opened. You just missed the streetcar, etc., etc. All perfectly good excuses provided by your subconscious to save you from the undesired. Surely you don't mean that my subconscious mind is responsible for the lost hook on my gown or the string around the laundry, you ask. And I don't. What I mean, and what you will recognize from a thousand personal experiences of the truth, is this. If you had truly wanted to go, your subconscious, which is the storehouse of memory and remembers everything, would have tapped you on the shoulder and reminded you in plenty of time that the hook was off your gown, that the laundry was not opened, that the streetcar would soon be due. It has done just such things for you a thousand times in the past. In fact, whenever you completely wanted something. A young school teacher whom I knew intimately many years ago and who lived in the same house with me was engaged to marry. I realized from scores of indications that she did not want to marry the young man, but she continued to think she did. She had promised her mother at the latter's deathbed that she would do so, and as they had long been betrothed, promised to make the following Christmas the date. She had arranged to go to her home in the adjoining state for the wedding, which was the inspiration for the reunion of her large family, some members of which were coming from abroad for the ceremony. As the Christmas holidays drew nearer and nearer, she became more and more restless and nervous, due, as she supposed and declared, to the extra work of fittings at dressmakers, attendance at showers, etc. All this time, she refused to think anything except that she wanted to marry this young man. She tried to prepare for the journey, but put things off and off. This finally necessitated the combined efforts of all her friends in the house to help her get ready. There were a dozen of us, and each constituted herself a committee of one to see that M made the train when school was out Friday afternoon. Seemingly, the fates had ordained that she should go. Not a thing was lacking. We all went down to see her off with rice, flowers, and all the rest of the trimmings. Her grip was in her section, the train due to leave in two minutes, and all of us standing outside her window chatting and laughing when she suddenly left her seat dashed to the door and down the steps crying, I have forgotten all my love letters and valuable papers in the secret drawer of my desk. I must get them. I could not trust them to anyone. I will take the next train. I will manage somehow. And nothing we could say to reassure her would convince her that her securities could be sent to her in safety. She returned to her empty room, took out her valuables, sat down by the open grate, and without thinking what she was doing, threw the love letters into the fire. Something seemed to stay her hand when she tried to rescue them from the flames, and she let them burn. Their ashes, she explained afterward, suddenly symbolized the state of love for her fiancé. 
Before morning, she had broken the engagement and next day wired her family to have a jolly Christmas without her. This case was unusually interesting from the fact that the young man also missed his train for the same subconscious reason, and when neither arrived, the relatives at the station supposed they had eloped. Rule 30. Watch your memory in connection with anything you think you want. No matter how poor it is in other ways, it will be amazingly accurate and keen with regard to everything that pertains to anything or anybody you truly admire or want. When you are forever forgetting a man's name, you subconsciously do not like him. Did you ever have any trouble remembering the name, initials, house address, and telephone number of the new girls you are crazy about? Rule 31. If there is someone who is always forgetting his appointments with you or explaining what perfectly good reasons made it impossible for him to see you, make up your mind to the fact that he does not really desire to see you. A word to the wise is sufficient. This person may be and often is sincere in his excuses. Things do happen, but they frequently happen to save people who are too honest to lie to save themselves. The subconscious finds a way to save you without lying if you are too honorable to avail yourself of falsehoods. And one of its best ways is by causing you to forget. Darling, he said, I never meant to hurt you, and his eyes were wet. I wouldn't hurt you for the world. Am I to blame if I forget? Forgive my selfish tears, she cried, because you meant to hurt me, sweet. I knew it was that you forgot. But all the same, deep in her heart, rankled this thought and rankles yet. When love is at its best, one loves so much that he cannot forget. If you will develop a pleasing personality, you will find that people, instead of forgetting their appointments with you, will come ahead of time, sometimes a day or week in advance of the actual appointment. This is sincere and unintentional too, the result of the opposite kind of desire. The subconscious exists only to serve you, and it will figure out and produce for you ways and means to get anything you really want if given half a chance. The great difficulty with us is that we so often hamper it, put up barriers that retard its work. Then it writes in secret and ultimately finds an outlet, frequently in the most unexpected directions. Rule 32. After you know what you truly, deeply, honestly want to have, you should avail yourself of every possible means for keeping that longing up to white heat. We are strangely and wonderfully made. We can rule or ruin lives by the neglect or encouragement of our own highest desires. They burn brightly at times. Then it seems almost as if something outside ourselves comes along and turns down the flame, as mother used to turn down the wick in the old kerosene lamp. This ebb and flow is natural to all living things. Do not let it depress you. On the other hand, do not allow the ebb time to continue too long. This is entirely in our hands. We think we are at the mercy of our feelings when the opposite is true. Our feelings, as we proved in the previous lessons, are the product of our own thoughts. A feeling changes in accordance with the thoughts we feed into it. Now that you know this, you can overcome laziness, inertia, and feelings of dullness by generating their opposites. 
This you should do whenever you find yourself getting a little neglectful of something you really do want. To keep yourself up to full efficiency in your efforts, you must keep your desires keen. The best and easiest way to do this would be by rereading this lesson, then rereading it again until you feel the old enthusiasm coming back. Each lesson in this course is printed in a little book to itself for just such purposes as this. You should carry one with you every day in your pocket or handbag if you want to do great things with your life. Desire is the real power back of all achievement. It is to the human organism what steam is to the locomotive. The train will not move until the water in the boiler has generated a certain amount of steam pressure. If that pressure falls below a certain point, the locomotive slows down and soon stops. It is precisely so with us. If we forget our desires, fail to believe in them, or forget to work toward them, they cool down. The powerful forces in our brain and body become dormant, and soon we come to a standstill. All the potentialities and potencies are there, just as they are present in the locomotive that is standing still on the rails. Lacking desire, all these energies are useless, for the steam of human energy is generated almost wholly by desire. To move forward and upward, it is not necessary to pull the train. We need only to keep enough desire generated. It will do the rest. We can generate desire as easily and as scientifically as steam is generated in the locomotive's boiler. But instead of pouring water into a tank and stoking coal into a furnace, we pour the material for this power into the subconscious, thought by thought, image by image, mental picture by mental picture. All thought tends to express itself in action. These constructive thoughts soon give us the urge, the energy, the vitality, and the enthusiasm to do something toward the realization of our desires. And we are off again for a good long run in the direction of our goal. Rule 33. Do not become agitated or think yourself merely vacillating because your list of desires changes day by day. You could not expect to see all that lies in your great subconscious the first time you took the lid off, nor hope, at first glance, to see its contents in exactly the right proportions. After the things you were never before consciously aware of wanting have written themselves down on the list, another surprising experience will come to you. You will find yourself taking off several things you've been telling yourself and your friends you wanted very much. When that day comes, you are over the worst for it is our unconscious self-deception which causes most of the conflict within us. These conflicts are like quarrels between the workers in a business house, and, as in any business, they cut down output, cripple morale, and decrease production. Do not think of your list of wants as fixed, set, or unchangeable. Remember that instead of making it ironclad, we must strive to keep it flexible so we can constantly adapt it to fit newer and better standards as we find out more about our real desires and as we grow in mental and spiritual stature. Keep it with you and don't fail to write down the changes that come to your mind. The chief aim at this stage is to get your true desires, that is, your strongest wants, into the list. Those in conflict with them, you will lop off gradually of your own accord, as fast as you distinguish the greater from the lesser, just as you would cut away the small branches that interfered with the development of a favorite tree. 
Rule 34. Look over your list and ask yourself whether the attainment of anything on it would rob anyone else of his rights. By this, I mean the good old plain American rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You can attain whatever you desire, regardless of its nature, by following the laws taught in this course. But if you wish to be happy after you get it, I advise you to remove from your list and sincerely renounce anything that you know would deprive any other human being of his chance for happiness. Rule 35. In closing, let me give you one of the best rules of all. Whenever considering your list of wants, try to remove from your mental eyes the spectacles of emotional, personal, or primitive bias. Try to estimate every item on your list from the standpoint of its power to permanently satisfy you, its value in the building of character, its probable potentials for bringing you lasting happiness. And now, after you have applied these tests, you find a very interesting, significant, and inspiring thing has happened. Namely, that as your list has dwindled in size, it has doubled and trebled in strength. Until now, you know what you don't want at all, what you only wish for, and what you want most. Your subconscious mind, in response to your desire to know what you really wanted, has dug up the truth which shall make you free and discarded a mass of falsities that have been holding you back. Instead of continuing to be a house divided against itself, you will stand full armed with the knowledge that is power, ready to go after all these things you really want most of all. You will no longer diffuse your power over the entire landscape, but will, like the burning glass, focus it on a few things and literally burn your way to them. You will stop gazing over all the counters in life's cafeteria or, in your hurry, taking the things you don't want. You will know what you want, why you want it, and where you are going to use it when you get it. The forthcoming lesson will give you the next step in your journey to the land of heart's desire by showing you how to set the first gauge for what you want.